welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Good to see everybody. Um, something a little bit different today. If you'll look on your take-home truths, there is um, like a smorgasbord of different uh, uh, scripture we're going to be in today. So you may want to go ahead and be finding those ahead of time. We're going to be moving through a bunch of like two or three verse sections instead of one particular place. But that's that's what we'll be doing. Uh, I was thinking earlier this week about college, which is now like 10 years in the past, or actually 11 years in the past, instead of something that I just came out of. And I was thinking how weird it was to go through college to be a teacher. Like I went to college the first two years they taught you all the stuff you didn't need, math and biology and things of that nature. And then your last two years of college, you got to pick things that were what you actually wanted to do and learn in. For me going into education, my last two years of college were filled with content. Being a history teacher, I studied a lot of history. I had to learn a lot of psychology to figure out how um, everything works in the mind, how the mind learns. And then we had to learn education, which was how do you, you know, how do you go into a classroom of 20 teenagers that would really like to kill you and not be killed by them? How, how do you create classroom discipline? How, how do you make kids who learn in different ways all learn at the same time in your classroom? And it was interesting to me that they took a bunch of 20-year-olds that had no business being around teenagers because they basically were teenagers and turned them into teachers who knew what to do in the classroom. One thing stands out to me from one of my doctors that she was teaching in one of our education classes and she said this to us. She said, if a student fails your class, it's not their fault. Well, whose fault is it there, Dr. Crosby? And she looked at me and she said, it's your fault. And she began to explain to us as, as young teachers, as we were learning the basics of education, that there is a difference in being a teacher who just presents some material and a teacher who educates the student. A teacher who educates the student takes responsibility for that student's learning. That was something that was completely new to me that I had never thought of before, that grades weren't the goal, but grades were an indicator of if the student had learned anything, and it was a teacher's responsibility to make sure those students learn. Now, let me stop right there. Let me throw this out here for all of my teacher friends because some of you guys are getting ready to go to parent-teacher conferences and drop one on the teachers. Like, why did my kid fail? My pastor said it's your fault. Listen, it's possible. It may be that your kids are just horrible and, and you love them and they're wonderful to you and you, you think a lot about them and that's okay. Listen, God loves you with a passion and yet his Bible still says that you are horrible too. So that's all okay. So please don't use this and weaponize this against your teacher. But here's what I did learn is that when I took responsibility for the students and their learning within my classroom, a lot of times unsuccessful kids would be successful. Now, why do I bring that up? Because as we're learning about the Great Commission, I really believe we have a problem with thinking that our job is just to, to have a church that presents like a show for one hour a week. In truth, what the Bible teaches us is that you and I, our church, is responsible for making disciples. That God 
God gives us this mission. We're not just providing church for people and hoping that the church will grow like a business. We are responsible. We are given a mission from Christ to take responsibility for seeing people saved and for discipling them. I'll be honest with you, when, when I began pastoring, I, I pulled the old Field of Dreams quote. You guys remember Field of Dreams? Like, if you build it, they will come. And as a pastor, I was like, if we build the awesome church, people will come here. And I've, I've since learned that's not at all what God calls us to do. God doesn't call us to build something people want to come to. God calls us to take the responsibility for building people's relationship with God and making that our heart and our responsibility. We've been in a series for the past couple weeks called 24-7 in 2024, and what we're doing is we're talking about habits that should be all-encompassing for us, things that we should be doing 24-7, and we begin with this focus on the Great Commission. What God calls a church to do, what God calls not just a church 2,000 years ago, but what He calls Ramsey Heights to do today, that we should be making disciples, and it's broken into two parts. We focus to this point on evangelism, making disciples, baptizing them, going on mission to find people and share the gospel with them. We talked about how that applies to us in our own personal lives with reaching our household. And today, I want to focus on what the Bible tells us with discipleship, that we are to teach them all the things that Jesus has commanded us. See, our mission as a church is not to exist. It's not budget. It's not building. Our mission as a church is when you walk in, that you are growing in your relationship with Christ. And part of your growth in your relationship with Christ is you look around and you see other people in here and you say, to the best of my ability, I want them to learn more about Jesus Christ. And I want to be a part of that in whatever way God has gifted me and given me a talent. This is our mission. So we're going to do something a little bit different today, something I don't like to do. We're going to take this smorgasbord of text and we're just going to move through the Bible asking one question and using different verses to answer that question. Here's the question we're going to answer today. What did Jesus think a disciple was? What did Jesus think of when he said the word disciple? And we're lucky because Jesus told us exactly what he thought of when he thought of a word disciple. So if you'll indulge me, our first scripture today is going to be in Luke chapter 14. And let me explain one thing to you while you guys are turning there. Part of the reason we don't skip around and grab a verse here and grab a verse here and grab a verse here very often is because when you do that, what I could do as the pastor is start to say, I want to say something and let me find some verses that back up my opinion. And that's not what the scripture is meant to do. The scripture is not meant to be cherry picked so that somebody can say, this is what I think and here's how the Bible kind of backs that up. The scripture is meant to change us. And so there's a danger to picking a verse here and picking a verse there. You want to make sure that you always have verses in context. So let me give you a little bit of context in Luke 14 before we dive in. Jesus here has been walking around. He's been healing. He's been teaching. People have come to him. They're like, I can't walk. And he would fix it. I can't see. And he could fix it. They would come and watch him teach. And they'd be like, we're hungry. And he's like, well, here's some fish and some loaves of bread. And we'll feed 5,000 of you. Jesus is doing a lot of things that get him a lot of attention. And as Jesus had the ability to do, he demonstrates here that he can look into the hearts of the people around them and know what their motives are and know what they are doing and know where they are missing the point. And he looks at this large large crowd of people that has begun to follow him because they're like, what's he going to do next? What can he give me? And he looks at them and what he sees is that these people want something from him. Maybe they're just curious, but they've missed the point because they're not committed. That's the context of what we have here in Luke 14. This is verses 27 through 33. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to war, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he, that he has cannot be my disciple." So as these people are feeling, following Jesus, he feels that it is the time to turn around and correct them. And, and here's what he's saying to them. He said, you need to understand that following me is not just about your gain or getting what I have or me being a genie in a bottle to grant your wishes and fix the things that you want. If you're going to follow me, it's going to take commitment. If you're going to follow me, it means that I will be your all. I will be your number one. You leave everything for me. And he defines that in two different ways. The first thing he says is, take up your cross. Now, you guys are churchy people, right? Most of you, churchy people. I see you here week after week. You, you, you come here and learn. And when you hear cross, you immediately go to Jesus on the cross, paying for my sins, taking the punishment for my sin. That's a great thing. When I say cross, I hope that's the first thing that you hear. But what you need to understand about this scripture is these people are hearing this before Jesus' work on the cross. And so when they hear cross, they don't hear the hope that we have because of how the cross is connected to our salvation. They hear the torture device that the people that have invaded them uses to punish them when they steal, kill, or break a rule. These people have walked down the roads and seen hundreds of people hanging on trees on the sides of the road, screaming in agony. When they hear cross, that's what they think of. They don't think of the hope of salvation. They think of the dread of torture and death. And yet Jesus here goes, hey, if you want to follow me, here's what it's going to take. If you want to be with me, be ready for a cross. Be willing to lay it all out. Be willing to die. He goes farther and he says, and, and if you are not willing to forsake everything, that means abandon. If you're not willing to abandon everything, if you're not willing to walk away from your family, if you're not willing to walk away from your job, if you're not willing to walk away from your house and the things that you have, if you're not willing to give that up for me, should I ask you to, you cannot be my disciples. Let me be clear about what I'm fixing to say here. Jesus didn't need an agent, but I'm kind of thinking if I was Jesus's agent and my job was to promote Jesus, uh, my, my job was to make sure that he was in the, the right place and that more people followed him, I'd be like, come here. I'd be like Peter, because Peter actually did this a few times. I'd be like, uh, Jesus, that is not a church growth strategy. <laughs> All this talk about forsaking and leaving family and, and dying on a cross, that's, that's, that's not going to attract people to you. you. You need to like tone it down a little bit. Maybe you can do some more of that I am the bread of life stuff. People like that. It was great. But you know, this whole cross thing is, mm-mm. And Jesus would look at me, and he would say, the point is not a large following. The point is people whose lives are transformed through salvation. It's not about the popular thing. It's not about having the big crowd. It's about the hard truth that following Jesus takes total, complete commitment. And Jesus turns to this crowd of people who are following him. He says, if you're going to follow me, follow me for the right reasons. Follow me with the right heart. 
Don't get sucked into a fake Jesus that I'm here to, to do all of these things for you and I'm your little genie in a bottle. Follow me as the Lord of Lord, Lords and the King of Kings. Your first take on truth is that disciples completely commit to Jesus. A disciple completely commits to Jesus. See, salvation is a life change. It means from this moment, Jesus Christ is my number one. And there, there's this false gospel out there that says you can be saved and not be a disciple of Christ. Like you, you can be saved and you're going to heaven, but you don't have to commit to him. And that's something that is kind of prevalent in our society. Like, oh yeah, I'm a, I got baptized. The pastor told me I was going to go to church or go to heaven. And one day when I die, I will. But I really, I don't follow Jesus. We have this, this false belief in that, and it, it really comes from two good doctrines, two true doctrines. Uh, the first doctrine is that salvation is by faith through grace, I'm sorry, by grace through faith. That all we have to do to be saved is place our faith in Jesus Christ. That's 100% true. That is straight from the Bible. As a matter of fact, that is one of the most important things that you should know about Jesus Christ going forward, is that your salvation is a gift from Him, and all you do to receive it is receive it through faith. The second thing we know about the Bible is the Bible teaches us that once Jesus has become your Savior, once you are His child, He will never leave you. You're going to be like, well, I messed up. Well, yeah, that's fine, but Jesus is still there. His, his death covers your sin even before you commit it. And so we take those two things and then we say, well, if somebody, you know, has an experience, they go to church one time and, and they got baptized or they raised their hand when the pastor said, who wants to be saved? Then we know they're saved forever. And therefore, those people absolutely go into heaven. And I hope that's true. And those doctrines are true. But sometimes we leave out that part that what faith means is it means commitment to Jesus Christ. And that there are a lot of people who will say, yes, I want heaven and I'll do what it takes to get to heaven. But they don't actually come to know the Savior. See, what the Bible teaches is that somebody who has committed to Christ, who has been saved, who has had a salvation experience, is no different than a disciple. Those two terms are interchangeable. There's no biblical difference. You are either saved and a disciple, or you do not belong to Jesus Christ. There's no middle ground there. And Jesus turns to these people and he says, you need to understand that following me means that I am your number one. See, when we get saved, it begins a process. It doesn't make us perfect. It doesn't mean that we're always doing the right thing. It doesn't mean that we don't even backslide. I've, I've had a few backsliding years in my life, like a go away from God. Had a few backsliding moments this week. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that we give God this process and say, I'm yours, change me as you will. My heart is yours, and you are the most important thing in my life. So here's what I want you to understand. I want to make sure that there is no misunderstanding about what I'm saying. Salvation is given to you freely. It is a gift of God, but there is a cost associated with it. Listen to what I said. I want to make sure you didn't miss that because this is, this is deep stuff, okay? And it's very important that you understand it. Salvation is free. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot be good enough for God. You can't go into God's presence and say, I was better than my neighbor. You can't earn it with good works by giving to the church, by coming to church. You can do none of that. Jesus Christ gives you salvation for free because of your faith, through your faith. But there is a cost associated with salvation. 
when I was seven, eight, or nine, um, my dad come to me and he said, hey, I need, to, I need to talk to you for a second. I was like, okay. And he's like, well, I need you to know we have won tickets to Disney World. Now, when you are less than 12 and you hear Disney World, your brain goes to mush, okay? And your brain just and then it's like Minnie and Mickey dancing under fireworks in front of Cinderella's castle. That's all you see. And so, like, my mind is like, Disney, we're going. And, and, then, and then he goes, but we're not going to go. What, what, what? Hang, hang on. Disney is free. I want Disney. This, this doesn't math. Like, why wouldn't we go? And he explained to me, he said, they're giving us tickets to Disney. The tickets to Disney are free, but they don't provide for our travel or our lodging. See, Disney is free, but there's a cost associated with accepting that free gift. And at that time, he said, we don't have the money for that, which made perfectly sense or perfect sense to me. The gift is free, but there's a cost associated with it. It's also like this. Um, parents, we love your kids, even if they are horrible. Uh, but, we, but we love them. And so Christmas, I know we just went through Christmas, but just imagine this, this next Christmas is if I gathered all the parents, if you got a kid under 15, meet me up here, I want to talk to you. And I, was, I said, you know, me and Jessica, we love your kids and we want to do something special for them for Christmas. And I'm like, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to give every kid in this church a brand new puppy. Adoree is excited. Everybody else is horrified. Brown, we don't want a puppy. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. It's free. I'm going to give it to you. No, we don't want it. Why don't you want the puppy? Because there's a cost associated with it. The puppy is free. I'll give it to you. But if you accept the gift of the puppy, you're going to have to feed it. You're going to have to put it in a doghouse or build it an extra room on your house or whatever you freaks do these days. You know, like you're going to have to take care of that puppy. Listen, here, here's what the Bible is saying. Here's what Jesus is saying to them. He's saying, listen, salvation is free, but there's a cost associated, and that cost is commitment to Jesus Christ. You can have salvation. It is free. It is given to you. But understand that what is associated with that is your commitment to him. So, so a disciple, a disciple is completely completely committed to Christ. And this explains the next thing. If you want to go ahead and start to turn to John chapter 8, let me give you some, uh, some context for this one. In John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching, and, and he's teaching the truth that he is the way, the truth, the life, that he is salvation. And Jesus loves to use, I love the way Jesus teaches, Jesus loves to use examples and metaphors and things to explain spiritual truths. He loves parables. He uses them all the time. Very encouraging to me because that's how I learn. And so Jesus here is using this analogy of being in bondage or being a slave and being made free. And he says the difference between being in bondage or a slave to sin is that you are free in sin is what he calls the truth. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he's pointing to himself. And within that moment when he He's talking about this transition from being a slave to sin to being set free from the truth. He begins to talk about being a disciple. I should probably turn my Bible there too, shouldn't I, if I'm going to read it? Be smart. Uh, he begins to talk about the difference in being a disciple once you accept that gift of salvation. And here he gives us another hint of what a disciple is or another command of what a disciple is. This is verses 31 through 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. 
and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So, so Jesus is continuing the thought that he said earlier, that if you want to be mine, you better count the cost, that you have to forsake all. And he says this, that a disciple will abide in my word. That word abide, it means to continue in, to live in, to remain in. So your next take home truth is a disciple learns and lives God's word. Now, there's two aspects that we can really talk about with abiding in the Word. The first would be to be a student of, and the second would be to live within His Word. Now, for our context today, Jesus is not going to sit down and give us a class in this building. Jesus has ascended into heaven. When He comes back, there's going to be a whole lot more going on than let's go listen to Him give a speech at a college university. So His Word, He provided for us out of His love and grace. His Word, His commands, influenced by Him through His apostles, was recorded right here for you and me. This is, this is God's Word. And it's a love letter to you. It says that He loves you. It has the gospel in it. And it tells you, once you are His, how to live. And so if we want to abide in his word, we have to know his word. If we know his word, we or want to know his word, we have to learn his word. If we want to le- learn his word, we have to study his word. So your next take home truth is we learn through study. Part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is that we value his word and that learning his word for us is a priority. That is why when you come to church, like if you ever come to church and God's word is not central, please find another church. Like I love you, but if I ever go cuckoo, you guys go find somewhere where God's word is being taught. This should always be the central part of what we do as a church. As disciples, you should have personal study. I'm not going to tell you what it looks like. That might look like five minutes a day. That might look like three hours a day. It depends on where you're at. But you should have a desire in you and a want to figure out a time to get into God's word, to study it, to learn it, and to write it on your heart. You should also seek teaching, which is part of the reason you're here this morning, is to hear somebody who spends all week studying a passage of scripture to come help you understand it. I want you guys to know something. I I haven't arrived just because I'm a pastor. As a matter of fact, I don't get to do church the way you guys get to do church. I want to notice where you guys are. You're getting to sit and listen to me, and I'm up here teaching. I don't get to listen to anybody this morning. And and so what I do through the week is I know several different pastors, big name pastors, pastors you never heard of. And what I do is I listen to their sermons because I hunger to be taught the word of God, even though God has called me to be a teacher of it. We should hunger for God's word, desire to be taught. And what I call this moment of our services, I call this worship through study. This is a moment where we're we're coming together collectively. We're saying, hey, at 11 o'clock, we're going to drop everything. I'm going to forget about the bills that haven't been paid. I'm going to forget about how cold it is outside. I'm going to forget about the feud I'm having with the person at work. I'm going to forget about all the things that that encompass my life. And I'm going to take this moment and I'm going to go sit in a room with my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to get God's word and we're going to open it. And we're going to focus on learning that for an hour a week. And actually, let me, shameless plug, we, we do this more than one hour a week. Like, this is what we do here. This is part of being a disciple, is hungering for God's work and applying it to ourselves. Which brings us to the second one. If we study God's word, your next take-home truth is we commit to living application. To abide in God's word does not mean to just know God's word. One of the best Bible scholars in the history of the world was a Roman emperor named Julian. Julian had went to all of the best seminaries. He had been trained from a young man. He was incredibly intelligent. But we call him today Julian the Apostate. Because when he was the empire, or he was the Roman emperor, what he did is he said, we have to reject Christianity in Rome and we have to go back to worshiping the old pagan gods. 
And one of the things that he did is he challenged anybody, come argue the Bible with me. And he could usually win those arguments because he had such a superior knowledge of the Bible, yet he rejected the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Was he a disciple because he had a knowledge of the word? No. Disciples have a knowledge of the word, but then they take that knowledge and they know it and they live it. Many people know, but disciples apply it. That means when I open God's word, God's word is offensive to me because I want to do things my way. It is offensive to the human being who does not naturally want to follow God, to open God's word, and God to direct us to do things that are not natural to us. And so I open God's word after I'm just so done with that person. I can't take them anymore. I can't stand them. Dare I say it? I hate them. And I open God's word, and it says, love your enemies and pray for those that despitefully use you. And if I'm a disciple, I don't get to go, don't like that. Let's find the fun pages. If I'm a disciple, I have to go, no, I have to change me. I have to let God's word shape who I am. I have to do what he calls me to do. I have to begin to love enemies, although it is unnatural to me. When I open God's word and it says, do not worship idols, I have to look into my life and I have to begin to identify the things that cause me to fall into idolatry, the things that I worship and focus on and find my value in instead of God. I start looking at my life and go, yep, Razorback football, that's a bad God, by the way. <laughs> He'll let you down every time. <laughs> Like, I, hey, I, I got to back, back off social media for a little while. Can't, can't do that anymore. It's taking all my time. I'm focusing on it. I'm worried about how many likes I got on that picture of my dog. Like, I can't do that anymore. I have to look at work and go, you know what? Work has to stay within its parameters. Work is a good thing. But, but I, I can't just live work all the time. I have to put that aside so I can pursue God. I have to follow God's word and what it calls me to do. If the Bible says I have to share the gospel, I have to share the gospel. See, what happens is when we become students of the word with the point of applying the word to our lives, the word becomes a part of me. The word becomes part of who I am. It begins to shape my identity. My identity is not found in what I can make of myself. My identity is found in what God's word says I am and who he calls me to be as his child. I want you to notice the difference there. Do you, do you see the difference in a disciple and a churchy person? There are lots of churchy people in the world. Got a membership somewhere. I know how to say all the right things. I know to say God is good all the time when, when Jared says it in the morning. I know all the words to say praise God. I know, I know when somebody shares with me a hard time to say I'll pray for you and then I don't. That is completely radically different to what God's word calls of us to be disciples when it says abide in my word, to live it as an application, to put Jesus as number one, commit to him, desire him, study, know, and live what he calls me to do. And when we engage the scriptures, when we engage the scriptures, what we'll find is things that change who we are. Your, your next scripture we're going to move to, if you want to go there, is in John chapter 13. Some context here. Jesus... Jesus is in his last moments before the crucifixion, his last moments with, with his disciples. And he says, guys, let's go eat together. And, and they're coming into a room, and as they come into a room, Jesus walks in first, and they see Jesus get down on his knees before them. And he says, yeah, give, give, me your, give me your feet, and I want to wash those. And I want to be clear here. When I say, I want to wash your feet, I'm not talking about like we're having a foot washing ceremony and we're all kind of prepared for it, you got the toenails clipped and, and make sure they don't sink. We're talking about nasty, dirty, sandal-wearing, Middle Eastern, sweaty feet. 
And Jesus says, come here, let me take your sandal off and let me wash that for you. This was so offensive to his disciples that some of them are like, uh-uh, no, that's, that's for a servant to do. You are not touching my nasty, stinky feet because you are my master. And in that moment, this is when Jesus teaches them a lesson about being a disciple and what it means to be a disciple. So read with me verses 34, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus speaking, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all know that you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. So Jesus stands here and he says here, a staple of being a follower of mine is that you will mimic me. As I love you, as I give myself for you, as I sacrifice for you, as I invest in you, as I seek you out, you will do so with other disciples. And listen, this is the thing when Jesus says, this is how people will know that you are mine. Uh, people are going to look at you and go, what's wrong with that person? Washing feet. What's wrong with that person? They're taking time out of their day to go serve somebody else. What's wrong with that person? They, they, they take some of their money and they give it to people they don't even know. What's wrong with them? And then all of a sudden they'll go, that's got to be one of those Christian people. They're nuts. They're like a cult. They do all these weird things. But most of all, they mimic Jesus Christ. Your next take home truth is a disciple loves other disciples. Now, there's two ways, two ways that you can take that. And I think really both of them are something that you can work together with and apply. I told you, and I won't, I won't spend too much time on this because I think I taught this two weeks ago, is that when the Bible talks about love, love is an action. Love is not the butterflies you feel in your heart when you go on the first date with that really handsome guy or that really pretty girl. That's not love. That's, as Bambi would say, that's being Twitterpated. Love is an action that we choose to do. Love, love is when we choose to serve each other. Love is when we choose to wash feet. Love is when we provide for each other. It's actions that we choose to do. But I also want to be clear. Love is not just like drive by, do good. Like you're going down the road, roll down the window, throw out a good action. Hi, I loved you today. Love is relational as well. Because when you serve somebody or when somebody serves you, this creates in you a relationship and a connection. I can tell you right now, the people that I feel closest to are people who I know are there for me when I need them. People who I know love me through action. So love is relational and it creates connections. Now, if you want to go to our next uh, scripture, it's Acts chapter 2, verses 42. There is a picture here of the accomplishment of what Jesus was saying. Acts chapter 2 deals with the early church. These are the people after Jesus has died, resurrected, ascended, the apostles go to work, people are getting saved left and right, they're baptizing people in puddles. I mean, it's just crazy in the book of Acts. They, they are doing all kinds of things. The Bible gives us a picture of what the early church looks like. And before I read this, let me say this. The early church was not some special church with some set of standards that we don't have. This is a picture of what Jesus envisioned for his church, for his local churches, 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 50 years ago, today, and should he delay his coming to 300 years in the future. This is what he desired. This is what he talked about when he said loving one another. And we see a picture of it recorded here. Acts 2, 42. 
It says, and they, that's the church, the disciples, the people that are following Jesus, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from the house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily, I love that, the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. As a pastor who spends a lot of time thinking about what a church should be, and what our church should be, I can tell you that is one of my absolute, complete favorite verses anywhere in the Bible or sets of verses anywhere in the Bible. Because what you see is a picture of what Jesus was saying is that, hey, you guys, as followers of mine, you're now brothers and sisters. You're adopted in the same family. You're going to love each other. And we see the picture of what that looks like is that they're together and they're learning together. They're using their resources to care for each other. Like somebody's coming to church and going, my hot water heater's out. And somebody else goes, hang on, let me sell my side-by-side so we can buy you a new water heater. That's what they're doing. They're caring for each other. They're engaging with each other. They're eating at each other's houses and they're praying and praising God together and in the midst of all this God goes out of his way to tell us people are getting saved daily when God's church loves each other with action and has those relationships see this is the realization of what Jesus wanted in his churches the church was not an event wasn't a time that we met together the church is a family that we're a part of and relationships are formed within the church that we build each other up and push each other closer to Christ. That's what God calls us to do. So taking everything that we've learned up to this moment, taking, taking the three things that Jesus says that this applies to a disciple, here's what we prioritize. If we want to make disciples and train disciples, and that is our mission and it is our responsibility to do, the three things that we prioritize as we try to teach and make disciples is commitment to Jesus Christ, living by his word, and community. Amen? That's what we want to do. When I say, let's go make disciples, when I say, I want our church to train people as disciples, that's what we're angling for. Everything else kind of falls into that a little bit. Actually, some of the things we do don't fall into that. But we want people who at the core of their being have a commitment to Jesus Christ, live by his word, and live in a Christian community. Here at Ramsey Heights, we've defined that by saying the disciples, that we want to be and make disciples who adore God, which means that we're going to go grow in our commitment and love to Him. We want to bridge gaps, bridge gaps, which means we're going to grow in relationships and service, and we want to cultivate the kingdom, which means we're going to grow in His command, doing the things that He has called us to do, not just avoiding the things He called us away from. This is our goal for all. This is where we want everybody in this room to be. When I pray for this church, guys, our church is growing. I want you to know, I don't pray for God, give us more people. God, I pray for, give us people we can disciple. 
Let people come here who we can grow. And God, if, if we're at a point where we can't disciple more people than we have now, we're fine with who we have here now. We, we want people to grow in their understanding of Christ. And what we see with that, with the door God bridge gaps and cultivate the kingdom, is each step of that leads to the next step. If you grow in one area, it should push you to grow in the next area. So for just a second, your, your next take-home truth, let's just talk about what these mean for just a second and how we apply them here at Ramsey Heights. So your second take-home truth says, let us be and make disciples who, point A, we adore God, and this is the focus of our worship services. When we come here for this hour, you know, the, the holy southern uh, Bible Belt hour of 11 o'clock on Sunday when everybody worships, here is our focus for this hour, is we want you to understand more about God, and we want to challenge you to follow Him more. We want to open his word, make it central to us, and we want to challenge you, whether that's you, you need to be saved, maybe you need to study more, maybe you need to grow in this part of his word. We want you to worship God through study during this hour, worship God through song during this hour, and we declare ourselves his during this time. Now, I'm so glad you're here. And what I'm about to say, I want you to know, is important and it's not aimed at anybody. There's more to church than 11 o'clock on Sundays. There's a family of people here who love you deeply, who want to be in relationship with you, and who want to grow with you. And I'm saying that to everybody here. And so the next thing that we see is if we're going to make disciples, we believe that a disciple should adore God. Point B on our take-home truths is that disciples should bridge gaps. This is the focus of our small groups. We call our small groups here Bridge Crews. And what we're trying to do with our Bridge Crews is we're trying to make this a place where you get to know people. You can go to these jokers' uh, Bridge Crew classes and listen, listen to the jokes that are told in there and the stories that are told and get to know people. But here's what else you can find in Bridge Crews. You can find people who will pray for you. And, and they're going to be the people in the church who are going to remember, hey, didn't you say that your second cousin's uncle's dog was having a toenail removed? I've been praying for that. And I wanted to know how it went. I, I love you guys. You're not going to find that in this room most of the time. You're going to find that in closer personal relationships in groups of 10 to 15. And so our goal is that everybody in this room, 100% of the people here, find a small group to be in. A group of people that they can grow in, that they can sit down and open God's word together, that they can discuss. A place that you can ask questions. I guess if you want to, you can raise your hand and ask a question while I'm preaching. I just want you to know it would really freak me out, but I guess you can do that. But you need to be in a group of people where you can sit down and say, I didn't understand that. Can somebody explain it to me? You need to be in a group of people that says, you know, I, I, really, I really struggle with letting go of grudges and forgiveness. Anybody else? And everybody will raise their hand. You need to know people on an intimate level and let them build you and you build them. So our challenge this morning is that you find a small group. And what we're going to do is all of the leaders of our small groups, both for adults and for kids, at the end of church, they're going to be out in the foyer. They're going to have these cute little nameplates that tells you who they are and what they teach. I would encourage you, if you don't have a small group that you belong to, I would encourage you to stop by and talk to them and just say, hey, uh, what's going on in your class? And, and let them tell you about their class. Let, let them tell you about what they're going to teach your kids and meet your kids and begin to build that relationship. They'll be waiting for you outside. And I want to encourage you to do that because I think it's important. I think God God made you to need that. 
over Christmas, uh, Jessica and Oakley and I, we got away for like two days and went up to Branson. And, and it, we had two problems. Number one, it was cold. And number two, we have a three-year-old. And those two things in Branson make it, you know, the activities that you can actually do very difficult. And so we were driving to Branson. We had our trip advisor. And we were looking for things to do. And my wife came upon the Butterfly Palace. I have been to Branson, I don't know how many times, and I've always thought, who goes to the Butterfly Palace? Dads. Dads go to the Butterfly Palace. Okay, it's inside, so it's going to be warm. She's going to love it. We had to buy her butterfly bracelet. She had a butterfly shirt. She was so excited. And what you do is, is you go into this place, and uh, they have like this room, and they've, it's like getting into Fort Knox to get in and out of the place because they don't want you to steal their butterflies. But you go in there, they give you a little flower, and these butterflies, they just fly around, and they land on you, and it's not very manly, but I was there anyway. And like it was pretty cool. And I said all that to say this. We went there, and we paid our money, not because we wanted to go once, but because they said, you can come anytime you want to for three days and we spent hours and hours in this place and I learned a lot about butterflies so God has blessed you with me as your pastor to teach you what I have learned about butterflies and here's what I learned picture coming up here uh, monarch butterflies you guys have seen this they come through these, these orange butterflies these things are beasts they winter in Mexico and they summer in Canada you guys are not nearly as impressed with that as I am. These little insects with paper wings fly 3,000 miles a year, actually 6,000 miles, round trip. That so They migrate, and as they're migrating, what is, what is true of them is they cannot live by themselves. God created them to know, just instinctively, to know that they needed a group. So they, they migrate in like these herds, and at night when it starts to get cold, what they'll do is they'll all land on the same tree. They call it clustering, and they'll cluster on this same tree, and then the body heat from the mini will keep the individual warm. Without that ability to travel in groups, there's no way that they would survive their journey. You know what the Bible says about your faith, about following Jesus, is that it's a journey. Paul calls it a marathon, a race. You're going somewhere. And God built you the same way that he built monarch butterflies. I mean, not with wings and orange. Uh, never mind. God built you to need other people with you. That your survival in the faith and your growth in the faith and your success in the faith is going to be accomplished when you're with a group of people. That needs to be a local church. You need to have a place that you are committed to. I hope that's Ramsey Heights for you. But it also needs to be in a small group of people who you can call and say, I need prayer. Who you can call and say, my pops froze. Can you help me? You need a small group of people who you can call and say, I'm struggling with this. Can you teach me? And so I'd encourage you today to, if you don't have that here at Ramsey Heights, to step out there, meet the teachers, and commit to coming to a group. Talk to your family on the way home. And just be the person in the car who's like, we're going to do it. It's going to be awkward. We're going to walk in there. Everybody's going to look at us. We're, we're going to sit down. We don't know anybody's names, but we're going to do it next week at 10 o'clock. I'd encourage you to do that. And let me say this. If you have a bridge crew, please don't be the weirdos who stare at the new people like they're the new monkeys at the zoo. New people. That's so awkward. Walk up to him and say, I've never met you. I've seen you a bunch of times. I've never asked your name. What's your name? You want to sit by me? You're going to love our teacher. You're going to love our class. And talk them to death. If people don't come back, I want them to not come back because you were too nice to them. And it freaked them out. And so they're like, I don't want to be with those people. We'll send them to another class. I don't want people to not come back because they walked in and go, I didn't feel comfortable because nobody talked. Because that's not what the church is. The church is a group of people who come together to disciple each other. 
the last thing in our discipleship making process is once we have we have moved you from worshiping here and adoring God into a bridge crew where you build relationships point C is that we hope that you can cultivate the kingdom there's a whole different sermon here for another time but but here's the process is that as you follow God God has a job for you and your job is different than my job. There are things that you can do like a superhero that I could never do. There's things that I can do like a superhero that might really freak you out. But God has a job for you. And whether that's holding a position of service here in church, showing up for a work day, shameless plug, next week, 8 o'clock a.m., we need some workers. We're going to start working on our building over there. Whether that's praying or giving or supporting, it doesn't matter. God has a job for you. And ultimately, his goal for his disciples is to build his kingdom. God didn't design you to accept his salvation and walk into heaven going, this is a pretty good place. God designed you to walk into heaven, praising God and saying, God, I was so thankful for what you did with me. I got another 20, 30 people. They're coming whenever you're ready for them to come. And I've done all of these things that have facilitated people learning. We believe that a disciple will do all three of these things. They will adore God, bridge gaps, and cultivate the kingdom. Rick, if you want to start to come up here. Our ultimate goal as followers of Christ is to follow him with commitment. And the reason we do that is because we've experienced his love. When he, when he came to us and said, you don't deserve my love, but I will take your punishment for your sin and I will give you my grace and my salvation is free to you. And we receive that and we go, that's the greatest deal ever. And from that moment forward, God's calling in our heart should be to grow in commitment to him, to desire him to want to please Him, and to want to serve Him. And so wherever you're at today, as I challenge every week, please don't leave here the same way that you walked in. There's people here today, you've been baptized, you've been a church member, you never committed to Jesus, you've never known Him. And if that's you, I would encourage you to come know Him, to give your life to Him, and truly commit to Him and say, I'm going to do this, God, I want your salvation, and I want to be yours. Maybe you're here and you've been saved, but you know what? You've just kind of been doing the background thing at church. Dive in. Make the commitment right now during a response time. I'm going to go talk to those weird people at the table and ask them about class. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, it's my turn to begin to serve God. Not just to take, but to give. Whatever God's calling you to, please don't leave here without committing to do that. Let's stand and worship. Thank you for joining us this week at Ramsey Heights. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and if you did, feel free to share it with others. If we can help you begin to follow Jesus or grow in your relationship with Him, join us on Sundays or connect with us on social media or our website, RamseyHeightsFamily.online.